You're listening to episode 11 of the Service Design Podcast. I'm David Morgan. And I'm Stina van Hoof. And in collaboration with the Service Design Network, we bring you stories about service design from around the world. This episode is another live episode that we recorded at our arena event. Uh, what was the topic of this event, Stina? Well, this time the topic was uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. And we had some interesting speakers and also some people at, at our marketplace that were presenting some actual prototypes that we could test. So that was really cool. And the two presenters uh, were Stan Michiels. And Stan Michiels is an expert in Microsoft platforms. He also brought a HoloLens where he showed like his own prototyped um, design that we could test. And then we had Demis Holwood, who is a lecturer at Howest, uh, a lecturer on VR. And he actually already... Uh, went through the whole history of VR. He has been busy with uh, the topic for a couple of years, so he could reflect on the evolution that uh, virtual reality already uh, made. So that was very interesting. So I think most people will be familiar with the term uh, virtual reality. Uh, but for those of you who are not familiar with the term augmented reality, I'll try and briefly explain. Um, this is where you can see the real world but you can place digital objects over that and uh, one of the the big uh, platforms at this moment moment is the uh, microsoft hololens um, i recommend if you don't know it yet have a look at some of the promotional videos it will give a very quick idea of what it is but it allows you to see digital applications digital 3d objects in the in the physical world um stina what do you think the augmented reality and virtual reality can, can mean to us as service designers? Well, I see a lot of opportunities for us to, to design for these realities. Um, it was quite interesting to uh, also hear that from the speakers that nowadays um, both of the uh, both augmented and virtual reality are still in the technical field, but it really needs uh, design as well to make sure we design something for the user. Um, and also it has to be designed, it's an experience, it could be the same as uh, when we design for uh, interfaces, uh, also the experience should be designed, so there should be a visual designer, and in this case even a sound designer, etc. So uh, I found it quite interesting to see the resemblance with our current design process for, for example, digital products, um, that the same... Um, same elements are important in the design process of a, a virtual or augmented uh, experience. Mm -hmm. One thing I also noticed when uh, when I spoke to different designers throughout the evening is how people are very excited about designing for virtual reality and augmented reality, especially because not everything is defined yet. There's still a lot of uh, undiscovered terrain and uh, and it really excites people in being able to figure figure things out for the first time and to be able to really uh, bring new insights in design to that field so i think that i uh, really notice a big draw to designers to to get attracted as well to this field yeah i think for designers that's uh it's kind of still like a playground and uh, that's really exciting for people to uh, experiment with it. But at the same time, you see that it's still quite uh, 
quite hard. You have to buy the device, which is already a certain amount of money. Then also the programs to uh, build things are not um, really easy yet. So even though at some point people are getting excited, it's still not easy to uh, to to start with it. So. Uh, I hope uh, and I also think that soon that will change and we will see a lot more of it uh, coming up. Um, one thing that also came up in the evening was uh, the idea of using uh, augmented reality as a way of prototyping services. What do you think, Stina? Do you see any potential? And it's quite hard to prototype these things. Uh, we can ask people, but building is, uh, for example, a building that needs to be designed. It's quite hard to um, to prototype that and to to test the experience. And I really see an opportunity here to uh, to build like uh, virtual uh, environments and then uh, do user testing with people. Um, and see how they will move through spaces, etc. We also had one um, uh, person at the marketplace that showed um, an apartment that people could buy and they could walk through it and they could select some colors and some furnitures to make it like their own space. So that's also kind of a way of prototyping, um, I see. Uh, what do you think? Do you think it will have like a, an impact on our design process? We would use it. Yeah, I think if if it's easy enough to to create prototypes, um, then it can really be a powerful tool. I think in our in our toolbox, um, I'm thinking of a project that you're working on uh, for for the city of Zedochem, where you you have to. Um, look at the way people move around uh, the building, that they know where to find their way. Um, yeah, we're going to be prototyping there. That's going to be paper prototyping normally uh, as a first starting point, but there might be very digital elements in there. So I can really see that this could be a very useful tool. Uh, do, do you think the the technology, like the, the Microsoft HoloLens, is, is mature enough to actually use this in a testing situation? Yeah, I would love to experiment with it, but as I also previously said, I still think you need some technical skills to uh, be able to uh, build these environments, and um, we are not... Uh, Focusing on the technical part, often we're more on the human side. So I, for, for us as service designers to start working with it, I think now we still will need a technical person to, to help us. But I really hope in the future there will be some tools that you can easily build some environments and you can easily test them uh, on, on different types of users. If there are any listeners out there who have some experience with using uh, augmented or virtual reality in a service design context, uh, we'd be super interested in uh, hearing about that. And uh, please reach out to us and we can, uh, we can uh, talk about that. Um, we also recorded uh, the, the talks by Stein and Danis. Um, we'll add a link to the video of that in our show notes so you can hear the talks as well then I uh, think it's time to uh, get into the episode. Um, after the talks, we had a, had a short uh, interview with Stein and, uh, and Damis, uh, and you'll be able to listen to that now. I hope you enjoy the episode.
Well, hi, uh, Stain and uh, Dennis. Uh, thank you very much for your interesting uh, talks and welcome to our hypothetical roundtable. <laughs> it's not quite round. I can make it round if you want. <laughs> we can do that. Um, so one thing, uh, we have a group of, in the audience full of a lot of uh, designers, of course. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the design process of designing an augmented re reality experience or a virtual reality experience? So if you're developing or de designing something for a device like the HoloLens, um, what most people ask is, what tools do you use? Where do you get started? And actually, the promising thing is that you don't, as a 3D designer, you don't have to learn anything new. You're just starting Unity as you're used to doing anything in 3D, I guess. And so that's where you get going. Um, and you, when you're done setting up your model, rigging it, you uh, publish it towards a, a Windows Store app. And from there on, Visual Studio picks up and you treat it just like you would treat a, a typical app development cycle for Windows 10. At the end of that sprint in Visual Studio, you end up with an app, you publish it to the store, and that's what we know from, from, from smartphone apps. So, yeah, I think for virtual reality, it's, well, the, the huge difference is that we take away all of the base reality, so you have no more references to what your surroundings might be, which is really risky because there are still walls. You might not see them, but they're still there. So there are, and I can only talk from a UX standpoint because I'm a UX designer, but there are a lot of things that um, it's really rock and roll at this point. Uh, there are a lot of things when you start developing stuff, start building stuff from your standpoint, from your idea, you follow the really standard procedure with like talking with the stakeholders, trying to find uh, the, the product you want to build. But once you start building and prototyping it, you quickly notice some little distinct things that you could never have imagined uh, and beforehand. Uh, trying to get people focus on what you want them to focus. Uh, certain, uh, I don't know if you know the story about Alchemy and their huge pot, but they had this in uh, in um, Job Simulator. They had this huge pot in there. You could cook cook in Job Simulator, and when they started testing, everybody just ran to that huge cooking pot, took it by the handles, and threw it away. That was their first reaction of doing it. And so you're building a, a, an app where you can cook. And the first thing people do is take the pot and just throw it away. Without a pot, you can't cook. So they had to think, and how are you going to solve that? If they glued the pot to the, the, the stove, people were disappointed. They couldn't throw away the pot. So we might have an issue there. So what did they do at the, eventually after testing? And they really, it's really, it sounds really silly, but I had four or five iterations before they got that idea was remove the handles. There were no handles, so everybody was like, okay, a pot, where's something I can throw away? And they started looking for other stuff. And, and so just taking away those handles fixed a UX issue in that game they could never imagine uh, before they started the project. So I think it's rock and roll in virtual reality, just a little more than... Yes, so there are quite a lot of designers here, like different type of designers. There are UX designers, visual designers, service designers, etc. As I hear in your story, they will all kind of get a, a place and a functionality in the design process. Uh, do you think there are like new skills they have to uh, learn and what would they uh, be? Um, well, I'll go first this time. Um, I think as a UX designer, one of the things I always used and that I always, and any 
meeting or explanation of my job push forward is empathy, trying to understand what your user wants to do, what he feels, uh, and trying to uh, incorporate that in your uh, uh, solution. Uh, but that, if you do that on a screen, there's some empathy, but I don't know, don't have to know how his kids are doing and stuff and what really is going on in his head. I think with virtual reality, especially the barriers are gone. You really need to step in their skin and the, that the level of empathy you will need to design a good product will be, the, the bar will be uh, much higher than it is in the, the current products. So I think that will be a really important skill just on that uh, level. Yeah. Another skill set that, that we see that that's quite important when you're building stuff in, in mixed or virtual reality is a, uh, a sound engineer, uh, though it's all about visualization and, and looking at things, having the, the appropriate sound associated with, with that visual seems to be super critical in order to have someone be, conv be convinced that what you're looking at is real or should be real. Uh, so a decent sound engineer or a guy that knows sound, where it's coming from, what it should look like or sound like, uh, that's quite critical as well. <laughs> if you look at the UX design for mobile or for web, um, we've come to a point where we kind of have figured out a couple of things. How do we do a form? How do we do a button? Um, what are the kind of basic beginner mistakes that everybody who starts with VR or AR runs into? Um, by trying to design on paper, I guess. Um, if you design a virtual reality experience, if it's visually or UX, you really have to step in it from the moment that you have something in Unity. Or Unity is really it's so easy to, to get a prototype going and, and get that first thing in there and, and step into your own experience and not start, uh, keep uh, designing on your screen and thinking that, well, it, it'll look all right, it'll feel all right. Just step in there immediately from the first thing you have, even if it's a cube, it's a cube. Look at the cube, look what it's doing. I think that's something that I see in a lot of cases that is they wait till they have something, well, it doesn't look like I want it to look at this moment. Don't step into it because you'll make some really big decisions um, based on your first experience. I completely agree. Um, the, try to advise, try to use the device as early as possible within your uh, development or, or your design phase, uh, because we're so used to looking at our screening and, and controlling it by mouse and keyboard and the things we're used to working with. That looking at something in 3D is so different that you you might make mistakes quite early uh, that you can easily avoid by by just looking at the, the, the object in 3D as it would be eventually. So, mm -hmm. yeah, We're now talking about the design process uh, towards designing an experience in VR, but I could also really imagine that um, the DVR could really help in designing an actual product or a service. Like, for example, we uh, took Today we had a workshop with uh, Geo, Gemeenschapsonderwijs, where they developed a concept on how schools could decide how they would design their uh, educational spaces, like what kind of spaces they need. And I could really imagine like us normally prototyping like small cardboard models, uh, then actually using this as a tool to uh, prototype and to also... Uh, yeah, design something eventually in the physical space. Do you think that's a direction that's already moving towards or will it be mainly 
Yeah, I think so. And yeah. there are companies right now here in Belgium that are making uh, those kind of applications uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in combination with uh, architects and and trying to make those uh, old models you used as an, uh, an old school architect or the 3D renderings into virtual reality experience. But I think augmented reality yeah. has even more potential in that, in that case. Even if you look at the, the big names in the industry like uh, Autodesk, they, they know that the future, if it's about visualizing 3D, in real life uh, they have to have a product line which supports exactly that and, and I think if you look at Autodesk right now they, they're building Fusion 360 which does exactly that you build it using your Autodesk suit and uh, right next to you that specific application is just there for rendering whatever you're working on mm-hmm. yeah. So we've had uh, an Oculus at the office uh, for a while. I'm really happy I've been able to try it out a bit. Uh, I find uh, myself, I get really captivated by it. I get scared of heights. Uh, <laughs> I forget, <clears throat> almost forget uh, I'm, I'm not in a real world. Do you, I've noticed other people experience it maybe less extreme sometimes. You've uh, had a lot of experience with lots of different people. Uh, what are there differences in, in how people can actually handle uh, virtual reality? Um, well, I've seen a lot of people that... Um, there's something that everybody will have. If you spend like 15 minutes in virtual reality and take off the headset, you'll have like two or three seconds that you're not really sure where you are and you're really disoriented and that break in reality. The longer you spend in virtual reality, the harder it comes to, well, that sounds really creepy, but the harder it comes to get get out again. Um, I've seen people react really um at in the pocket we had this event um and one of the the, the project managers there uh, put on a headset where there was a roller coaster if you have the playstation vr it's um i can't remember the name it's something with pigs and stuff it's really cool um and she put on the headset or it was it was the playstation vr she put it on because i kept pushing her Lara, put it on Lara, put it on and she eventually put it on i filmed her reaction i should have put it in my presentation but it was really hilarious to see how hard she reacted so i think you have the really it's a, there's a scale of how intense you can feel in, in in those experiences and it has a lot of the same way like if you can watch a scary movie and just be like whatever well there might be people that watch virtual reality and think whatever but there will be a lot of people that get uh, really impressed well in in mixed reality it, it's it's different um Luckily or unfortunately, depending on if you're using it or if you're watching it, uh, a mixed reality user, because he sees his environment with just things added on top of it, he doesn't have the the, the uncomforting things like motion sickness you would would get in VR. Um, That might be an advantage moving forward with with, with mixed reality as such, Uh, but still... Yeah. It's, it's something you definitely have to keep in mind if you're designing for any device. Yeah. Uh, if you're de- if you're designing for entertainment values, then you can go as far as you want, or uh, well, what your what your goal really is. I think in, indeed with augmented reality, we'll we'll end up in a point where those holograms might not feel like holograms, and the, the level of reality might be that high that it might be disturbing in some cases or even dangerous if if well if someone doesn't see the difference between a real wall and a holographic wall the result will be painful mm-hmm. nowadays uh, vr are still quite individual like you see your own world you see your own things 
Do you think that could evolve into a more social uh, thing? Or will it still stay like... Definitely. Um, hol if you're building holograms, for instance, on, on HoloLens or mixed reality devices in general, um, one of the things coming up is, is just what's called shared holograms, um, which allow you as a, as a HoloLens user to look at a shared hologram with, with all people wearing the same device. But it can also include people using a mixed reality headset or a virtual reality headset. Um, there's some user scenarios on, on how that would actually work, like having remote, remote assistance uh, from someone in VR being teletransported what, to what you're looking at through a, a, um, a transparent device in, in real life. Um, but I think these things are definitely coming up and they're, they're just at the, at the, at the starting point of, of where things are going. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. When it comes to an entertainment value of virtual reality, well, might be different and we will see what will happen. You have those arenas now in the States, they're really changing all the, the cinemas, the, the movie theaters that are making no money at all. They're transforming them into um, what we, we used to have those laser shooting experiences where you can run around and sweat like a pig while you're shooting at your friends. Well, they're going to put those in virtual reality where you can still sweat like a pig, but you can be sweating on another planet. And, and it's really, um, they can take that dark room that smells and, and turn it into, I don't know, a temple somewhere in Egypt. So that will be that kind of social experience and entertainment for virtual reality. But I, if I can, I totally agree with Stan that there are a lot of practical uh, things that can be done and will be done really soon. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at the mobile phone, how that has changed how people interact with each other, just look at teenagers, it's a complete center point of their interaction uh, with each other. You don't have to tell me, I, I teach those kids. <laughs> <laughs> so it does make me wonder what, what revolution in human interaction are we going to see with these uh, technologies? But uh, yeah, we can only uh, fantasize about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. the, there's this one movie clip talking about that you need to see it so from an, uh, an artist. Uh, so it's slightly exaggerated and, and over the top. Um, uh, I, I show it to Hyper Reality is the name. It's on Vimeo and YouTube. I showed it to my students too. And there are some things that are useful, but the, the general tone is how it could go wrong and how we could be too dependent on the technology. So in that sense, something to look, to look up and uh, check. Um, talking about that, what are there any worries or fears you have with this technology, or things where you are uh, you think it's very important that we as designers keep this in mind to make sure we turn this into a, a positive technology? At, at this point, I think that the biggest fear would be first devices are now out of the gate. We 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 can get going with with the first generation of devices. Um, speaking for for Holland, I think the biggest fear would be that there would be no competition coming into the in, into the arena the next coming years. Um, if there would be multiple players really doing the exact same thing, and I think that the devices that Tim is referred to, it's they're they're they're, they're being very good at, at what they should be doing to enhance competition. Um, but the biggest fear would be that there would be no competition whatsoever. Um, I'd like to open up the floor for questions of the audience. Um, 
our colleague Craig will be uh, walking around with a microphone. So please uh, raise your hand if you have a question for Stein or Damis. So thank you for your nice talks. Um, recently uh, at the Microsoft Build event, so they presented how their um, actually virtual reality devices would be working. And they called those types of devices like mixed reality. And they differentiated it from the experience that you have with a HoloLens. And this makes the whole thing a bit confusing. So I can see that the augmented reality with the, with the, uh, the phone camera is different from the, from the mixed reality experience of sensing the room that the HoloLens does. But actually, I think Microsoft calls it differently. They call the mixed reality the virtual reality of the Acer and, and HP headsets. Um, and for those headsets, so I can, I try to, to see, a, let's say, a use case for, for those. And I understood that, you know, it's like putting these on and just replacing your, your screen with any screen that you want and using your computer in a virtual world. But I, you know, I, the, the, the practical application of it and the interaction with the HoloLens, et cetera, that they presented, it, you know, kind of, I didn't, I didn't fully get it. Could you expand a bit on that? Yeah, sure. So what they presented was um, two years ago, we had this amazing headset called HoloLens and you would, could see through it and you could see holograms in your real world. We called it mixed reality. Uh, and now they said, at this, at this event, they said, um, as of now, you can buy devices which cost 10 times less, uh, but will give you the same experience, but you can't see through it. Uh, so eventually what they do is They'll, they'll sell you a virtual reality headset, uh, which is really inexpensive, which deals with some of the, the issues that other headsets might, might have at this point, like the price, not just for the headset, but also the PC you need. Uh, you can do it with almost commodity hardware. Um, and how they all fit, fit in together would be if you're developing something for this future vision of, of seeing holograms in your real world, if you want to get there already, if you or if you want to uh, know what such a, an app would look like, uh, you could get going with a really inexpensive device. I think it sells at three hundred dollars. Uh, you could get going actually seeing it, developing developing it without having to wait until you can cash out just three thousand euros or three thousand dollars on one device. Because for most consumers, I think for all consumers, three thousand euros on one device, you expect more than than what you can do with it right now. I think that the HoloLens also has the issue that they have a, a rather small viewing angle when you cons when you compare it to virtual reality. So if you want to start indeed building stuff for, for the mixed reality, then that those new headsets have the the, the advantage that the, the viewing angle is way bigger. So it, I think indeed that it's somewhere leading up to um, what they eventually want to do. And like I said in my presentation, we'll end up in a situ situation rather where any hardware, what it will be, will it still be a head-mounted display or something else that you can just, with a, some kind of slider, adjust the level of reality and base reality, the mix you have there. So I think it all falls in that strategy of, of building towards that, uh, that mix. It will be eventually all mixed reality, but you'll just have a, a more of the base reality or less of the base reality. Thank you. Are there more questions? Yes, we have a hand. Hi. Um, you talked about um, the lack of content in the VR space. That's a major issue. 
um, next to the hardware. But are there any indications the same might not happen to the AR space? Or uh, do we have any insight in that? Lack of content? I think at this point, we're the ones responsible building that content. Um, and the big difference between how VR is evolving at this point and how mixed reality is evolving is that VR, I think, has settled in, in this zone where it's perfectly suitable for, for gaming, for entertainment. That's, that's where it fits right in. It's, it's I think, the perfect solution to, to do gaming, to, 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 to watch entertainment. Uh, whereas mixed reality is, is opening up to a whole new set of uh, applications. Um, so if we're looking at the first applications or the first content landing on those devices right now, it's, uh, it's a lot of B2B stuff, business intelligence being added to your real world as you might need it. Um, but it's just, those are just the first things that, that we, we get to, to, to move on uh, building new and more exciting and more interesting and more rewarding applications in the end more rewarding experiences that make mixed reality truly worth it. I think that mixed reality is really building to it really fast in that sense that there, um, I had this colleague this week that said to me, I saw this application where there has been technology where you can recognize, you just point your camera at an object and your the, the algorithm will tell you what object you're looking at. That's something that has been there for uh, some time now. And now there are, companies that are making links between all those different dots that are out there. And he, he saw this application that can be installed in a, um, a magazine, in a you know, uh, warehouse, thank you very much, uh, in a warehouse. And um, if there's someone that tries to step into the Clark and drive around for some fun or joyriding, making some donuts or something, the, the, the cameras will register who he is, recognize his face, see that he's stepping into a Clark, make the match, see that he doesn't have a license for that clerk. So he is a risk and just shut down that clerk. So he can step in and turn the wheel like a little kid, but he won't be doing a lot of donuts. And those are different technologies that they connected. So connected those dots. And I think they're in augmented reality. There are a lot of dots that are open at this point. And, and it's just a matter of connecting those dots. I think we'll be getting there really, really fast, while virtual reality really has the, the task of, yeah, we have entertainment, yeah, we have games, but those are models that are getting old. We've been doing that for a lot of uh, years, and we're putting a new device in people, their hands and in their homes, and we have to find something bit, bigger and better to convince all those people to even, well, when the prices drop to 300 euros still, uh, it will be hard to convince a lot of people. So I think the challenge there is there is real uh, to find that one thing that convinces them all, the one ring to convince them all. All right. Well, I think that's a very uh, nice point to uh, to end this talk. Um, thank you very much. If if our listeners uh, want to uh, learn more about you, uh, get in touch. Where can they find you online? I'm on Twitter. Um, S-T-X-N. That's the shortest way to write my name with this false smelling, spelling mistake. So. I'm on Twitter too, but I don't use it. <laughs> I have an account, but I can't be bothered to, to keep an eye on it and uh, post. Uh, sometimes I post something. My, my Twitter handle is uh, Tamish. Um, it was on my slides. If you get my slides, you'll see. It's a, uh, when you have a difficult name, you take a difficult handle. Um, other than that, just... Uh, Send me an email, demisholvut at hoest.be. Can be easier than that. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, excellent. Well, I think these guys deserve a very big round of applause. And uh, thank you a lot. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight by Hydrogen C, featuring I Will, I Swear. Until next time.